Blog Talk Radio. The Catch with John Fisher on Blog Talk Radio, connecting life to faith. We're just trying to get it together, trying to help their fellow man, hoping we can make it better. Yes, well, here we are on Blog Talk Radio again uh, this Tuesday with uh, uh, our very special guest, Oz Guinness. Oz is, Oz is certainly uh, n- nothing new to um, to us here on, on The Catch on Blog Talk Radio. I think perhaps uh, our most frequent guest per- um but I can tell you this, he's our most listened to guest as you go back on our podcasts and uh, look at the people who, um, you know, who keep up with it and uh, listen to to even many of the uh, uh, earlier times we've had Oz. So uh, we are just so privileged to have his voice here on Blog Talk Radio it's very definitely a prophetic voice and something that we all desperately need, especially uh, in this particular day and age we find ourselves right now. Um, it seems like the world is just uh, getting more and more uh, difficult and hard to understand and figure out. And uh, a voice like Oz is uh, someone who helps us sort through uh, this confusion that's uh, going on in our culture right now. So we're so appreciative of this and so looking forward to uh, our talk today uh, in which we want to look uh, at into some of the thoughts of his new book called The Magna Carter of Humanity. And... Uh, uh, Sinai's Revolutionary Faith and the Future of Freedom. Um, incredible thoughts on on freedom and and revolution. And we're gonna can't wait to get into it. So uh, Oz, uh, great to have you one more time on Blog Talk Radio. John, it's always a privilege and fun to be back with you. Thank you, thank you. You know, it seems like every book you write. Um, you are basically trying to address some cultural blind spot or errors in in our thinking. Um, what is it that you're trying to correct in this book? What are you trying What are you trying to get us to realize here? I know it's a big one, but uh, in general terms, just to get us started. Well, John, put it like this: you know, for the last few years, people have been talking about the cancel culture. And this year, particularly, everyone's concerned with critical race theory. And they're important, but people don't know the background. The ideas behind those go right back to the 1920s and the rise of what's called neo-Marxism or cultural Marxism, rather different from classical Marxism. And it's swept up on America. And so 
What you have today is a clash between those who believe in the American Revolution, which of course was rooted primarily in scripture, and those who believe in ideas that have come down from the French Revolution. So tragically, many Americans don't know history and they don't know the roots of their own revolution. And so they're falling for the ideas that come from a very different revolution. So my book both wants to explain the background of these things, but also to give a much more constructive view. It's not just analysis. You know, we need to go back and rediscover the first principles of the American Revolution, which are in scripture. And as you talk, even in the subtitle, about the Sinai Revolution. Now, that, that, that's a new thought, uh, perhaps, for a lot of us, because I don't think uh, we've – I know I haven't thought about the Exodus as a revolution, but it really is, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. But again, John, put it like this. When, when the Christian faith became the official ideology of Rome, that was 380 under the Emperor Theodosius, But what the church did was copy Roman structures. And you had the Caesar and the consuls and the senators. So you had the Pope and the cardinals and the bishops and so on. Hierarchical structures. And they were very easily corrupted. All power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. That was the early church. But the Reformation, you know that idea, solo scriptura, scripture alone, they went back to the scriptures. Now the scriptures you have what's called a covenantal view of government, and it's there in Exodus, the Sinai Covenant. And what Americans don't realize is that covenant became constitution. The 17th Hmm. century was fascinated by what they called the Hebrew Republic and all the lessons you get from the book of Exodus. But it's not just liberation from Pharaoh. The Lord gave them a whole new way of living. And that's what the covenant was. And that's what, through the Reformation, shaped the early American experiment, which sadly we, today has almost been completely lost. Wow. In your discussion then on, on that Sinai revolution, uh, one of the things that really jumped out at me is that you, you set up God as, as the first revolutionary. Now that's a, that's a revolutionary thought right there. Um, how is God <laughs> well, a revolutionary? <laughs> but it shouldn't be. Put it the way the rabbis put it and the Jews put it, which we as followers of Jesus as Christians should have subscribed to as well. They put it like this. God creates order. And through sin and the inclination to evil, humans create disorder. So God works into the disordered world to restore it, and he turns the disorder upside down, but in turning it upside down in a revolution, he's turning Mm -hmm. it the right way up. (laughs) So, you know, the obvious example is uh, in the New Testament, Acts 17. When Paul preaches the gospel, which is a synonym for peacemaking, it's called in the book of Acts, what do the agitators say? These men who have turned the world upside down have come here. (laughs) They were revolutionaries, but they weren't turning it upside down in a subversive, radical left way, which is disastrous. They were doing it in the Lord's way, so they were turning it the right way up. So, 
you know, put mm. it like this. So often Christians are considered only conservatives, if not reactionaries. And of course, we want to conserve all the best of the past. Of course, we are conservative, but we're also progressive. We know that many of the ideals of freedom and justice and human dignity haven't been fulfilled yet, and they should mm. be. So we're looking forward as well as backwards and striving to do better than the world was given to us. So yet, properly understood, I'll put it another way, the danger in what I'm saying is that revolution is relative. You have to say, who says so? <laughs> so my book would argue that the left-wing revolutions, Marxism, neo-Marxism, that sort of revolution has never succeeded and the oppressions they create have never ended. Wow. So we're talking about a different type of revolution. Wow. So, you, so therefore, um, uh, we, are, we ourselves are, are, are revolutionaries. As Christians, we, we, are, we can consider ourselves countercultural. We, we are going back to the Jesus movement. We, we really were right. <laughs> oh, absolutely, John. And people talk like that. You have, uh, you know, magazines like Radix in Berkeley and so on. Absolutely. Now, our Lord calls us to be in the world, but not of the world. But you see, that idea goes back. You go back to Exodus 23. It says you're not to worship what other countries worship, nor are you to live the way of life of other countries. Or, as the, again, as the Jews put it, when Abraham beginning of it all is called the first word is leave and as you put it you leave your country your culture your kin and you follow god's way it's a new world order that's really being created in the gospel so yes we we're countercultural. if you put it in augustine's terms we're members of the city of god now we happen to be living in the city of man but the city of man will not last whether it's Rome or Athens or London or Washington, D.C., the city of man won't last. The city of God lasts. We're temporarily resident hmm. aliens in the city of man, but our citizenship is in the city of God, and we are countercultural. The trouble with the American church is that it isn't countercultural. It's worldly rather than being shaped by the word. Oh, let's talk about that. Just uh, let's talk about that a little bit more. Uh, how the church, the American church, uh, has ha- has failed in being countercultural. Can you can you uh, tell us a little bit more about those thoughts? Well, put the general point, John. The scandal of the American church is that this is the one country in the Western world where Christians are still a huge majority but thoroughly uninfluential in culture. Mm. You have group, Let's take groups that we love, like, say, our Jewish friends. They are 2% of America, and yet they punch well above their weight, culturally, financially, in the world of entertainment and so on. They're incredibly influential. And we who are called to be salt and light, in other words, symbols of engagement, we're not mm. doing it. Now, we've got to be more specific, and you could look at either ideas that we're uh, capitulating to or just ways of American life that we've been shaped by unawares. But the, there's mm. so many examples. I mean, 
Let me just take one in the latter. You know, as followers of Jesus, we should have a high view of authority. He is Lord, and we are under his authority. And he put his stamp on the word of God, the scriptures, the Bible. But we're living, of course, in a consumer society. And in a consumer world, everything's a matter of choice. Your preference. Nothing's right or wrong. It's what you want. Now, that's fine when you have 100 cereals in a supermarket. Who cares which one you choose, granola or whatever it is. But when that comes to faith and church going and things like that, that's incredibly dangerous. And you can see the crisis of authority. You know, one man said to me, love, of course, but hell, hell no. No, as we pick and choose. It's the church of mm. your choice, the theology of your choice, the music of your choice. It's all about us. And so the American church has a crisis of authority because mm. it's been shaped by things like consumerism more than the cost of following the Lord. Wow. And and also, Oz, hasn't the American church fallen uh, deeply into thinking that they could uh, further the kingdom of God through political means and political power. And they've kind of gotten bed with the politics in America, wouldn't you say? Well, uncritically, you know, Chuck Colson commonly used to say that the kingdom of God doesn't come on Air Force One. (laughs) Now, you understand the, the trouble is, instinctively people knew that certain political positions were holding the line against some of the radical ideas in our culture and they were so they supported politicians including the previous president but they supported him uncritically so Mm -hmm. for example many of president trump's policies were good many of president biden's policies are disastrous for the church but Christians didn't critique, say, his tweets, which were appalling by biblical standards, demeaning people and insulting people, what the Hebrew in the Old Testament calls evil speech, which the rabbis considered Mm -hmm. tantamount to murder. And because they agreed with his policies, they didn't critique his character or his discourse, and it was disastrous. We've become identified with much of his words. But that doesn't mean he was wrong. And many of the things Trump did were actions, you know, religious freedom, uh, pro-life, and many, many other things were actually very good. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's, uh, but uh, so we're, what you're saying is that, 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 that we're not being, we're not thinking about what we're doing. We're not being critical enough about our cultural involvement. No, absolutely. And and that's in spades when it comes to the sexual revolution and um, the cultural Marxism sweeping in with critical race theory and so on. You know, I've been on the phone or Zooms this year with pastors from your part of the world in California. And I said Mm -hmm. to them, you guys have drunk the (laughs) Kool-Aid. In other words, because the critical left says justice, and we saw a terrible injustice with things like the killing of George Floyd, Christians just jumped up and saluted. Now, it's true that we who follow Jesus, like the Hebrew prophets and like the radical left, 
We agree there is terrible injustice in the world. But how we address it is night and day difference. And so the fact that there was injustice and people said justice, you know, a lot of Christians were incredibly naive and taking on far more of the radical left than they ever should have done. They weren't thinking. Well, the sexual revolution, you know, you say the sexual revolution. Well, you know, John, you and I are old enough to remember, um, you know, Playboy magazine and the pill and Hugh Hefner and things like that. And people think it goes back to the 60s. No, no. The sexual revolution goes back to the same place in Paris, the Palais Royal, where the political revolution came in the French Revolution. And if you go back to thinkers like the Marquis de Sade, or in the 1920s, Wilhelm Reich, who's the one who gave us the term sexual revolution, they were very clear. They were outspoken. Their big enemy is the church. Hmm. Or as they put it, Reich puts it like this, that we will never win, he says, as sexual revolutionary, until we overcome two people, parents and the church. And that's why for parents, they want to have sex education at three and four. And so you sideline parents. And equally, they know that if the church can't be overcome, they're in trouble. But Christians are caved into it. You know, the, the tragedy is we, we evangelicals in particular have withstood theological liberalism and revisionism for 200 years. Mostly we've stood firm. But we've now, in the last 10 years, given in to the sexual revolution and cultural Marxism in an unprecedented and utterly stupid and wrong way. <laughs> wow. Um, is there any antidote to this? Uh, is there any way we... Uh, how, how does this get turned around? I mean, it, it, it seems like we need, people need to be educated, and yet, you know, how do you do that? How do you get them thinking better? about what, what what they're doing. That that just seems almost impossible to me. No, no. I mean, you start with leadership. Okay. Uh, you know, Max Dupre used to say, the first thing a leader must do is define reality. In other words, where are we? So you have, for example, American leadership. President Biden talks of restoring the soul of America. And President Trump used to talk about make America great again. But neither of them talked about what made America great in the first place. That's what Lincoln did. Lincoln addressed an evil, slavery, in the 1850s, in the light of the Declaration and what he called the better angel of the American nature. Tragically, of course, he was killed. But in a, or put it more biblically, covenantal systems or covenant constitutional systems, which America is, which the Jewish system were, they can be renewed. Say you have a Josiah or Hezekiah or an Ezra, Nehemiah, the renewal of the covenants, and we need to have a restoration. Lincoln called it a new birth of freedom. I say America needs a new, new birth of freedom. You know, Hmm. 100 years later, it can be done. There can Hmm. be return. John, put it like this. If you ask me to summarize 2021, in three words, they would be these. Revolution? Question mark. Oligarchy? Question mark. Homecoming? Question mark. 
In other words, revolution is the radical left. And I would say, and I've got a lot on the book, please, Lord, no. That would be the end of America. Oligarchy is the way politics and bureaucracy and the media and entertainment and now woke business are all consolidating, creating kind of one-party national politics of the ruled over against the ruler, uh, the rulers over against the ruled. And that's hmm. not democracy. That's an oligarchy. And again, I say, right. please, God, no. But <laughs> homecoming. Many Christians forget that the Hebrew, we all know the Greek word for repentance, metanoia. No, it was an about turn of heart and mind and spirit. But the Hebrew word is, is deeper. It, it means all that, an about turn of heart and mind and spirit, but it also means coming home. In other words, doing wrong or sin is alienation and exile. But people who turn around come home, and America needs to come home. And I mean to its best. There's got to be acknowledgement of the evil of slavery and the evils of racism and so on. But they are the sins and the equivalent of the fall in Genesis 3. They're not original to the best of America. America needs to come home to its best first principles. Uh, boy, I... Um... One of one of the things I noticed about your book, Oz, is uh, how frequently you uh, you have two uh, two or three rabbis you quote quite a bit in your book. Uh, talk to me about that. Um, uh, why are they so important to uh, our understanding of what we need to return back to? Well, put simply, the Hebrew scriptures, and particularly what they call the Torah, the first five books in the Bible, were what was rediscovered in the Reformation and made that great difference in uh, Holland and in Switzerland and in Scotland and in England. And I argue that what failed in England, the English Revolution, is called the lost cause, the king came back, became the winning cause in New England. So... Literally, the Torah, Exodus, Deuteronomy, you can't understand the American experiment without understanding them. But today, there's hardly anyone speaking like that, and the best voice of all is Rabbi Jonathan Sachs. And my book is dedicated to him. Mm -hmm. Tragically, last October, he was diagnosed with cancer, and he died within a month. I gave him a, a rough draft of the book, and he gave me a wonderful letter of gratitude. I'm just so sorry he's not here, but his books on the Torah, on Genesis, Exodus, and so on, are absolutely incredible on freedom. Now, John, mm. compare that with, say, I'm not going to mention name, but a famous megachurch pastor in the South last year called Christians to unhitch their faith from the Old Testament. Oh. That is plain stupid and really <laughs> wrong. We, of course, followers of Jesus are the heirs of the Old Testament because he's the fulfillment of it and so on. So we've got to understand it to appreciate our own heritage. You know, the Hebrew scriptures are our Christian scriptures. Yeah. So I've dedicated the book to Rabbi Sachs and openly expand so many of his ideas, which are some of the best writings on freedom you can find in the modern world. Far, far better. You name a Christian writer on freedom who can get anywhere close to them. 
Wow. Wow. Now that's a, that, that's certainly a new thought because you, you know, you would not think about old Testament and Jews as, as uh, even old Testament uh, ideologies and all, all, all of the whole message of the old covenant as freedom, you know, I mean, yeah, but, but but John, think for a minute. Let my people go. Uh-huh. You know, neither Ben Franklin nor Thomas Jefferson were devout believers, but both of them wanted the Exodus and the crossing of the Red Sea to be the symbol of America. Or you take, say, the Negro spirituals. Go down Moses. Take Martin Luther King. The night before he was assassinated, he was speaking about Moses and the Promised Land. And you could go on down the line. Whenever there's been any revolution or movement for freedom, it's appealed to Exodus. Wow. Exodus is the great precedent of all revolutions and all liberation movements, except for the radical left. In other words, as I put in the book, you've got five great revolutions, the English, the American, and then the French, the Russian, the Chinese. The French, the Russian, the Chinese look to the Enlightenment with disastrous revolutions that never succeeded and only produced oppression. The English mm. and the American came from the same place, the scriptures, and they are the ones that came closest to freedom. They weren't perfect, but they came closest. Wow. Wow, that's great. That's our heritage. Uh, yeah. Uh, Oz, I want to uh, quote uh, a couple sentences from your book because uh, uh, as we're time always goes so fast coming down to a, uh, a closure here you captured something though here that uh, really caught my eye because we have a 20, 21 year old still in our house mm-hmm. uh, that that uh, that we adopted 21 years ago, and um, you know I have to say he thinks a lot differently than I do, and because he's grown up in a different world than than I grew and grew up in, and and uh, these sentences kind of nailed a, a lot of his feelings, and uh, that really brought my interest up, and I'd love to have you talk just a little bit about this. Um, if all relations are negotiated solely on power, the best protection against the unwanted power of others is to approach everyone with suspicion. The outcome is an aging society fueled by pervasive suspicion, mistrust, rumor, conspiracy theories, and cynicism. Suspicion is the best insurance against the mounting menace of manipulation by the power of others my my 21 year old uh, i guess you could still call him maybe i'm right on the edge of millennialism <laughs> um he uh he really though has this strong sense of of being manipulated and he feels that comes from the government he feels like it comes from a lot of places just as you have mentioned here including uh you know he's very very influenced by a lot of the the uh, conspiracy theories and i think that's probably very common for people his age 
why why has that come to be? And the second question, there's two here. (laughs) Um, The second question might be a harder one, is what would you say to my son? (laughs) Well, take the first one, John. Okay. Nietzsche in the 1880s is the most powerful voice saying, God is dead, truth is dead. Well, if God is dead and truth is dead, or people believe that, all you've got left is power, power. Mm. And literally the only safeguard is for me to suspect what might you be up to? Now, as everyone, nothing is what it appears to be. And so the only safeguard is to be on your guard by suspecting people. And you have a culture that's wary, that's cynical, that looks between the lines and so on. Mm. Put it another way. Put the positive. Where you have high truth, you have high trust. And where there's high trust, you can have high freedom. Where you have low truth, you have low trust and low freedom and high surveillance and high suspicion. And it's just Mm. as simple as that. I mean, the Chinese trust no one. So you have two billion cameras following the Chinese everywhere, and they have zero freedom. And tragically, America's moving towards that. And I often say, you know, you have the intellectuals who scorn, say, QAnon theory and all that. But the populist suspicions of the elite is only one side of the coin. And the other side of the coin is the postmodern cynicism about there being any truth or objective reality of all. You know, as Hmm. our Lord says, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And without truth, there's literally no freedom. And America doesn't believe in truth anymore. You have, you know, Oprah Winfrey's your truth, my truth, his truth, her truth, and this sort of nonsense. But without truth, you have to be suspicious. You have to read between the lines. You have to watch where the smoke's coming from and so on. So your son is right. He instinctively knows the result of a Nietzschean post-death of God, post-truth world. Wow. How can I help? How can I help Chandler navigate this? Well, on the one hand, we've got to push people out. This is what Elijah did with prophets, of, you know, against the prophets of Baal. If Baal is God, follow Baal. Of course, he knew Baal wasn't. We've got to push people out to see. This is Francis Schaeffer. Push people to the logic of their assumptions. Hmm. When they see consistently what they've chosen, they might think again. So on the one hand, push him out to see where it comes from. And then hmm. secondly, show the alternative. You know, when people, I, I, I'm a great believer in the simple principle, contrast is the mother of clarity. When you see hmm. the alternative to the scriptures or the gospel, you go, wow. So you take something like truth. If truth is dead, we're in endless conflict of power. And the weak go to the wall and the victory goes to the strong. Do we want that sort of world? No, it'll be terrible. So we push people out to see the logic of the idiotic things they're choosing. I mean, you take the transgender confusions, the harvest of identity confusion and broken families and whatever America's going to have in a generation or two is unbelievable. And when they see it, they'll go, wow. And then you see the contrast and the wonder of the scriptures and the gospel. 
Mm. Wow. Well, gosh, um, I told if <laughs> I, I told everybody I've read half your book, so we're going to have to have you come back uh, very soon. You know, as soon as I finish it, and we'll talk about yeah. the rest <laughs> of it. But um, we'll do another one, you know, John. You, you know, I'm thinking uh, what stuck with me just uh, in this half hour. Oz is the, your uh, re, re, revolution, no, uh, oligarchy, and homecoming. I love mm-hmm. the homecoming. Uh, you know, here we call that uh, the gospel of welcome. Uh, uh, coming home. Yeah, terrific. Grace, grace turned outward. Uh, tell us some, just give us one more word uh, about that homecoming as we, as we close here, Oz. Well, of course. You know, Diderot, the great French encyclopedist behind the French Revolution, he said, the enlightenment in one word is reason. It didn't turn out well. We, as followers of Jesus, say that the Christian faith in one word is grace. Hmm. So mercy is not getting what we deserve. But grace is getting what we don't deserve at all. But God gives us so richly. And of course, Look at Rembrandt's wonderful painting of the prodigal son being welcomed back. That's Mm. the homecoming for all of us who come to know God through his son, Jesus. And I love it. I love it. Mm. America needs to come home, but each of us needs to come home, and thank God we can. Forgiveness, reconciliation, restoration, these things. We come home in life, and there's meaning and order in the universe and behind everything, our Father. Hmm. Hmm. Uh, it's, uh, it's always great. Um, thank you so much. Thank you so much. And and we will we'll we'll have to have you come back real soon. And we'll <laughs> thank you, John. You always a privilege to be on with you. Okay. Great memories. Yes. And God bless you. And keep 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 it up. Keep uh, helping us uh, navigate uh, this. Uh, crazy world. <laughs> yeah, indeed. Thank you, John. God bless. Okay, guys. God bless you. How was that? Homecoming. Grace turned outward. Uh, Oz is our man here. We just love to hear him. And we love to hear the truth. So, Get your friends to sit down and listen. This is really good stuff. And uh, go out and get the book, Magna Carta of Humanity. Um, we've got we've to gotta be smarter about this, everybody. And uh, so thankful that Oz can help us think through this. So God bless you. Hang in there. Uh, join us next week. When we come back for another incredible Blog Talk Radio on the set. Next week, we have uh, Mike McCausland. Fantastic. Don't want to miss that. God bless you. Bye-bye, everybody.
Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.